welcome to Textual Healing. I'm your host, Mallory Smart. In this episode, I got a chance to speak with Christina Rosso. Christina lives and writes in South Philadelphia, where she runs an independent bookstore and event space called A Novel Idea. Her debut chapbook, She is a Beast, was released in May 2020. Creel Conjure, her first full-length collection, just came out from Malden House. Her fiction and nonfiction centers around gender, sexuality, and fairy tales. We have a pretty fun conversation about the occult, cannibalism, which is New Orleans, life in the suburbs, and so much more than you could even imagine. I hope you enjoy the show. You know, I guess the first thing I would have to ask when it comes to your writing and obviously all your really interesting uh, interests. Wow, that was the lamest way to state that. <laughs> all your interesting interests. Where it's did Monday, stem it's fine. From? Yeah. And I barely drunk the coffee, but no, when did you start getting into this? Because like, I feel like everybody has like some stem that like, we're like, oh, that's when they got to get into like the occult kind of like lure and everything. Yeah. Well, I feel like for my writing, I started, it all kind of started when I was in grad school. So I did at the same time I was doing my MFA at Arcadia, um, I was also doing a, a master's in literature there. Um, and I, for some comp class I had to take, I was reading, uh, Joyce Carol Oates, uh, novel Black Water, and there's connections in it to some fairy tales, specifically Cinderella. And so through doing some research for that project, I realized, you know, that people were reimagining fairy tales, um, and looking at it from a feminist perspective. And then I discovered The Bloody Chamber by Angela Carter. And then I, I spent the next year and a half of my programs um, researching um, different different fairy tales and then writing them. So that's like really when I started writing in this genre of like dark literary fantasy that I'm in now. Um, and then, you know, I was always interested in the occult, um, but I didn't really start getting into it until maybe a year or so before we opened the bookstore. So, um, like right around when I finished, I finished my, my degrees at Arcadia. I started actually, you know, buying tarot decks and starting to learn how to use them and taking classes on candle magic and herbs and visiting occult shops. And, um, you know, I just kind of just spiraled from there. I also went to New Orleans for the first time about halfway through grad school, um, with my best friend and, it's actually where I started writing Creole Conjure and just, I feel like set me on the path, um, both like writing and personally that I went on and that I'm still on because I was in one of the most magical, mystical, weirdest, spookiest places in the world. And everything just seemed to click. Um, and I just wanted to know more about everything. I take it. I, I like that your interests are more legit. And that you weren't just like a teenager who hung around in Hot Topic. <laughs> so, no, I, I really appreciate that. That just made me like you a lot more. Oh, well, thank you. <laughs> that you actually like did your research and you actually were going about it. And I'm not saying like there's an illegitimate way, but like you seem to dig it. Actually, you're not doing it just for the vibe. Oh, yeah. I'm a full on nerd about all of this stuff. Like, you're not Taylor Swift doing, like, the witch version of random shit. You're actually committed. Yes. 
Yes, we try to uh, avoid all of those uh, faux, faux witches just, you know, it's popular. I mean, obviously it is really popular right now. Um, and that, that helps in, in terms of accessibility in certain ways, but it also means that there's a lot of crap out there, um, or a lot of people, you know, taking on the label of witch or getting into occult studies because it looks cool or because like you said, Taylor Swift just doing something with it. Um, and she actually has, I don't know if you've heard the song Willow, she has like five different versions of it and they're all witchy versions, witchy moonlight version, witchy lonely version just like it's so weird i actually haven't listened to any of the like newly released like taylor version of things i know the world is going crazy over them but um (laughs) i'm not a huge taylor swift fan so i just i'm like good for you girl but uh i'm good i think yep for me i'm definitely on the same side but uh boyfriend loves taylor swift (laughs) I know we are just so not gender rolling in this household. Good. But yeah, he, he's the Tay Tay fan. And he even like scolded me on New Year's Eve because I was like, oh, who else is listening to 22? Because it's all over TikTok. And I posted a screenshot. He's like, no, that's not Taylor's version. And I was like, oh, good God. <laughs> How dare you, Mallory? I know. I got like three of my nieces yelling at me too. And I was like, dear God, chill, people. <laughs> It's only Taylor Swift. She already has half a billion dollars. Yeah. I mean, she's, she has she has plenty of things. I've always felt weird about Taylor Swift because she grew up not too far from where I did. She, we grew up about an hour apart from each other. And I went to college with people that were in school with her and just told me that, like, everything I heard from multiple people was that she's so different and, like, growing up was so different than what she's told the media um, like that no one liked her and that she was like this weird, awkward girl. Um, instead she was like one of the most popular girls at this, this very small high school in Reading, Pennsylvania. And like all the boys liked her. Um, so I, that's I mean, always been hard for me cliche? to reconcile. It's just like how you get all those like uh, rock stars who are like, Oh, working class background. That's where I came from. I'm a total Bruce Springsteen guy. It's like, you all want to pretend you're the underdog, but not really. Right. Or, like, you get all those, like, really hardcore rappers, and you're like, damn, they came from, like, this shitty area. Then you find out that they're a middle class raised. Yeah. It's like, what? Yeah, she definitely, I mean, I can't speak to her personal experience. I can just say that people that I've known and talked to said that, you know, she had had a, a lot of good things going on for her, so. Yeah. I also love how, like, suddenly, like, you hear her sing in, like, her original albums, and she's got, like, a hardcore southern drawl. Oh, yeah, because she started as a country singer. Yeah, but, like, she wasn't raised there. No, she's from Reading, Pennsylvania. And that's why that always bothered me. Everyone's like, oh, she's a Nashville girl, and it's like, no, no, she's not. (laughs) I think her house was, like, twice the size of my house. Oh, yeah. She said she grew up on a little Christmas tree farm. Her her childhood home's huge. I like how we're just going to do the... We're just going to call this podcast the one where we hated Taylor Swift. <laughs> I mean, it happens. I mean, like, I, I'll get into some of her shit, but really it's more of a favor for my nieces and my boyfriend, who I'm still not used to calling fiancé. 
we're still not we're it cool takes, with that word. It takes time. It's been a couple months. We keep wondering when it's going to happen. I think we'll get used to fiance once we're married. Oh, yeah. And then who knows when husband is going to come. Oh, yeah. I. It was, I think, like a solid six plus months before I started calling Alex my fiance. And then I'm pretty sure once we got married, at some point I called him my boyfriend again. Because I was just like, <laughs> what are you? Person. So sometimes it's just easier to say my partner. <laughs> that like, person is my next man to me. friend. Like, he takes care of me. He makes good coffee. Yeah. <laughs> but, no, not used to those fun words. I feel like once you hit a certain age, you can't say boyfriend anymore, too. Mm. Or at least that's maybe more of, like, a baby boomer mentality. My brother kind of has that, where, like, once he hit 30, he's married now, but he would call his girlfriend his lady friend. I was like, yeah. what the hell? I don't really like lady friend, but I did, you know what I will say? I dated a much older man when I was in college. Um, Like Alex is the same age now that this guy was when I was in my early twenties. And so calling him my boyfriend didn't make any sense. I did call him my man friend, but I like, don't like that language. (laughs) At least you didn't call him sugar daddy or something. Yeah, I definitely didn't call him sugar daddy. No. (laughs) See, you're in the right vein of things. I dig it. (laughs) So when you think of like music that uh, associates with your writing, obviously we now know it's not Taylor Swift. No, no Taylor Swift. So like, I find it wild because there is currently, I don't know if you are aware of all the cores. That's like what they call all these random subgenres now. When we were growing up, it was just hipster. You were just a hipster, and that was all you were. But now there's, like, cottage core, farm core, and now a big one is witch core. Are you familiar with that? I'm not, but it potentially sounds like something I would like. Yeah, I mean, uh, key motifs, frogs, owls, bats, tarot cards, magic. Uh, there is also other names, hex core. It's really weird. Not saying that it's, you're weird, just... The fact that there are so many subgenres, but I just found it like intriguing because I was looking at some of the music from it, and it's not stuff that I would have envisioned. Stuff like uh, Hozier, Big Thief, Nico, Lord Huron. Like, what do you associate? I feel like if I was thinking, when I'm thinking of like witchy kind of music, I either am thinking of like kind of folk music or uh, some, maybe some rock, uh, maybe instrumentals, maybe a little metal. I don't know. I feel like I haven't, I mean, there's some, some artists that I like, like Chelsea Wolfe, for instance, that I feel like definitely goes for me into feels like a witchy vein. Maybe it's just because I think her music is good for doing magical things um but but sometimes I don't know how people categorize things is the the folks that you just mentioned I was like "Hmm, I don't think I would have put them in this witch core category yeah that's what I was saying like really confused me I was like what kind of vibe are these people getting into so obviously they would not be your witch core people no I don't think so cottage core God, there are so many random things. Of course, a lot of them have Stevie Nicks and everything. Um, 
I don't know where her witch like thing came from when everyone started to like associate her with that. I don't actually know either. Um, I mean, I love, I love her. Um, big fan of Fleetwood Mac. Um, and I, I always think about her. I mean, and it's probably because of pop culture, because of the third season of American Horror Story, the coven season uh, in New Orleans, and she's, she's in it. Um, but I like now always think of her, at least for the last few years, of like connected to magic and New Orleans and everything. But her music isn't necessarily inherently witchy. I just enjoy it. God, I'm just like looking. So many of them have Hozier on their playlists. I just, I don't know. It's weird. Some even have Frank Sinatra. What the fuck are people listening to? <laughs> What are they doing when they're doing their witch core shit? I mean, you know what? It's 2022. You can be any kind of witch that you want to be. Uh, but uh, I don't think Frank Sinatra would be my, even in my top 50 choice for what to listen to while doing witchcraft. But No, it definitely, it wouldn't even have occurred to me. Maybe Florence and the Machine. I yeah. see that on a playlist. I was like, okay. maybe some of the songs. But... Okay, so if you had a playlist for Creole Conjure, I now throw you on the spot, what would be on it? So um, I was thinking that you might ask me this. So I started thinking about it a little bit. I mean, I'd have to have jazz and blues. I mean, you just have to. Um, I don't know if you've been to New Orleans yourself, but, yeah. you know, when you're walking down the street, music just floods you, right? You can walk by a bar and there's jazz music you can walk by another bar and there's rock, you know, or there's blues. Um, so jazz is, is a big one. Um, I can't think about new Orleans without Louis Armstrong. Um, so he would definitely be on the playlist. Um, but I also think about, um, and this artist has nothing to do with new Orleans, but, um, Django Reinhardt, I don't know if you're familiar with him, but he was, uh, doing a, what's called like, or was called like gypsy jazz in the early 1900s. He was from France, but his music is, uh, the first time I went to New Orleans, I went on a swamp tour and the tour guide at the end just kind of let us drift around the swamp for like 15, 20 minutes, um, where he was done talking to us and it was just, he just played music and it was this, this, you know, jazz kind of swing, very uh, like light music, and that's what Django Reinhardt's music reminds me of. And so, um, I can't think about his music without thinking about New Orleans. Um, I would also put. Let's see, I would I would put some Fleetwood Mac on there. Um, maybe Jimi Hendrix Voodoo Child. Um, and then I feel like I'd have to have some kind of classic like spooky witchy songs like put a spell on you i like the screaming jay hawkins version um stevie wonder superstition um what else i also broke down um for certain characters songs like the yeah yeah yeah's heads will roll um or a, a cover of santana's black magic woman there's a, a creepy kind of version of that that victories did that was a uh, I found because it was in the, I think the first season of the, of, um, the new Sabrina. 
Um, and I was like, ooh, I like this. This is not the Santana that my mom loved when I was a child. This is great. <laughs> How do you like the reboot of Sabrina? I really like season one. Enjoyed season two. Season three was a hot mess. And season four was very bad. Yeah, okay. I'll go with you there. Yeah, I I rewatched. I like I have certain shows that I always watch in the fall, um, and so I rewatched just season one of it um, because I said to myself, "You were so upset when when the show ended. <laughs> like, why put yourself through the whole thing? Just watch what you thought was good." So I just watched season one, turned off the TV then, and I was like, "Okay, now I can just like go about my life and not think about." You know, in season three, they had some cool ideas, but it was like every mythological, magical figure they could bring together in really weird, unimaginative ways. And then season four, I just, the ending was so bad. It <laughs> um, was just so upside down. I I agree with you. For a show that's, that, you know, was so strong, especially in the first season about being about feminism, about strong female or non-binary characters, about, you know, standing up for what's right and not being put into boxes. I feel like Sabrina dying, I mean, spoilers for anyone who didn't watch it. Um, It's just like that whole season and her arc also as the both of the Sabrinas was weird. And then with Nick essentially committing suicide to be with her, I was like, well, that's not sending a great message either. So, yeah, it just got a little too soapy for me. Um, I, I don't watch Riverdale. Uh, I've been told I should, and I know that she's back and alive in Riverdale. So Really? Maybe at some point I'll watch that. People tell me that it's like has all the dark elements of Sabrina. Um, so maybe, maybe it's worth a shot, but I haven't watched that. But that's not on Netflix, right? I don't think so. We'll leave it up to the fans to let us know. Yeah. Like, please tweet us. Tell us where this is. Yeah, I want to watch it. No, I do too. My nieces keep saying that they have a crush on the main dude. I keep forgetting his name. But, yeah, I've been told to watch it. I didn't know that Sabrina kind of, like, intertwined with that. I mean, I knew, like, same universe. I just didn't know that, like, they ever came into contact. Yeah, that's... That I mean, there's mentions of Riverdale in Sabrina, but I don't think, and I might be wrong, maybe we meet a couple characters, but I don't think there is crossover in Sabrina with Riverdale. But I've read some of the comics, and they're, they crossover regularly there. That just sounds fun. Yeah. I would totally watch it if it was like that. Yeah, so, I don't know. We'll, we'll both give Riverdale a, a shot at some point. And then we'll do like another podcast and be like, this is our opinion of Riverdale. Yes. You all lied to us or hey, it was amazing. Yeah, exactly. Just be like, you all sit on a throne of lies. What the hell? But no, I I really like that you got into Sabrina. I agree with the first season, especially like I like that it didn't go for that campy vibe also. Oh, yeah. I loved that it just it leaned into the darkness um, and all of, you know, just like the language that they used, how they turned so many things on their heads was so good. And I mean, 
witches eating witches too, which obviously Sabrina has an issue with, but I was like, cool. <laughs> I'm scared to know what happens at your bookstore. <laughs> it's, it's, I mean, we do have a large horror section, a new age section. And one of our, one of our books that we've been promoting really hard in the past year is Tenders the Flesh. I don't mm-hmm. know if you've heard of that. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I pitch it to people of, First thing I say is, how do you feel about a novel about cannibalism? And then based off of their reaction, I either tell them more or I stop talking. Uh, but my favorite TV show is Hannibal. So I, I, I am not interested in cannibalism myself, but I uh, enjoy consuming media about it. God. Sorry, you're the first person I've ever spoken to that has said that. And I'm just <laughs> loving it. I'm just going to take a few seconds to just let that dwell in my mind. <laughs> Please tell me your store has a back room, like where you hold fucked up events. I mean, I wish. Ah, oh, maybe our next have, location. Like, a secluded section, yeah. But, huh? I wish I had more coffee right now. Never enough coffee. Never, never is enough coffee. Are you drinking any right now? I am just having some tea right now. Um, Such a witch answer. But I will definitely need uh, need some additional caffeine as the, the day continues. I don't know why I said that was a witch answer. I was watching all the Harry Potter shit, and I was like, they only drink tea. I never see coffee in the Harry Potter universe. So, I mean, tea is definitely, definitely something attributed to witches. I just finished reading a book called The Witch's Book of Self-Care, and it has an entire section about different tea blends that you can make yourself and what the, you know, the properties are and, and everything. Um, I don't, I don't do that. I just, I mean, I, I could, and I might, but I, you know, just, just buy tea and make it. Um, but there is definitely because of herbs and everything, definitely a witchy component to it. But also I think, I just think of tea and self-care more so than witchiness. I dig it. I dig it. But they kind of intertwine, so that's good. Yeah. Adding fun layers to your personality. No, this this is a very amusing conversation. I like it. And also the fact that I'm the one who's more out of it than you are. That's fun. <laughs> I'm usually not that way. It's usually vice versa. But um, do you usually write to music, or do you listen to it beforehand? So I... I am someone who either can't listen to any music when I'm writing or I can only listen to one song. Um, so I was trying to think back to when I was writing Creole Conjure and I don't think I listened to any music when I wrote that book. Um, I was really? just like so in the zone. Um, I describe writing that book as like a summer of being in a fever dream. Uh, Alex Thai had literally lost my mind because I would talk to him in like fragmented sentences and I, my mythology that I was creating started to feel more real than he did. So, um, but I, I usually listen to, um, instrumental music or, um, sometimes some folk music. Um, if I am writing to anything, um, I, I listen to music more so when I'm editing than when I'm actually writing something new. Um, but it, it just depends on the the vibe I'm in and if also if there feels like there's the right song 
that I can just blast on repeat as I'm working on something. And if there isn't, then I just, I just write in silence. Do you ever do it where like you're writing hardcore and then like suddenly you're just like dance break, music break, need something to clear my head? Or is that just me? I mean, my whole life is a dance break. Uh, <laughs> anytime any song comes on, it could be a commercial. And if it's it's striking my fancy, I get up and dance. Um, dancing is one of my favorite things to do. So, yeah. And getting up if I'm feeling really stuck, you know, dancing or like taking my dog for a walk or like my two, my two things to kind of clear my head before getting back into it. That's what I do. We actually just call it music time at my house. I just kind of kick Bulent out into another room. And I'm just like, I'm hijacking this area and I'm going to dance. Please go away. I realized recently, I said we're renovating our house and we've only lived here for a few months. And we don't have a kitchen right now. So it's this great big space because we knocked down all of these walls. Um, so it's this giant room that doesn't have anything in it. So it's perfect for dancing. Um, and so... That's where I've been dancing lately. And I realized the other day that if my next door neighbors are in their kitchen and they look into my kitchen, they can see me just like (laughs) doing whatever type of dance it is that I do. I mean, I don't think there's a name for what I do. Um, It's like modern spastic dancing, you know. Um, Not the stuff you want to do in front of people. I said to Alex, I was like, I mean, it's not going to stop me from dancing there, but uh, it is a thought that crossed my mind. And, you know, it might impact how our neighbors interact with us in the future, which is cool with me. <laughs> my vibe is now that we're, we just moved to the suburbs. So that's like really weird for me because we've lived in the city for like the past decade. Um, is that my vibe is either like, let's get along with our neighbors or I want them to think that I'm, they shouldn't cross me and that I'm really weird and witchy. Um, for Halloween, we made a faux cemetery in our front yard. Um, so, you know, I'm like one or two extremes. So if my dancing freaks them out, that's cool. They don't need to talk to me. And if if that they like me, then maybe they'll bring me cookies because I have had neighbors bring me treats since we moved. And I was like, this is really nice. Do people do this? Like come home and there's a homemade pound cake at my door. That's great. That is some East Coast shit. <laughs> I like it. We're not that friendly in the Midwest. I don't, I literally like was talking to our realtor about it. She's good friends with my mother-in-law and she was like, yeah, Christina, that's, that's what suburbia is around here. Like people help out their neighbors and they bring them treats. And I was like, am I supposed to make things? And she's like, no, you're new. So they're going to bring you things. And I was like, this is great because I also don't have a kitchen. So I couldn't make them things even if I wanted to. See, we we are not like that here in Illinois. You know, I want to say one Midwest area that's like that is uh, Minneapolis. They're very nice to each other there. But the rest of the Midwest, we all hate our neighbors. I don't know. We're grouchy. It's probably the bad weather. I mean, when we lived in Philadelphia, I hated my neighbors, so. Oh, I, I especially, if you live in a city, most people hate their neighbors. Yeah, I've actually, you know what, my very first apartment in Philly... I had nice neighbors. I didn't interact with them very much. They, they one time brought us cookies and they one time invited us to a party, you know, cause we were all like in our twenties, but any other place I've lived in the city, I've had horrible neighbors that I have 
avoid it at all costs. For us, it's either we have the horrible neighbors or we're the horrible neighbors. Mm -hmm. Especially because my music time, very spastic, not fun to be on the floor below us. <laughs> I, I've learned to do better. I, I do it more silently, walk gently. <laughs> but that's cool. Oh my God, I want to move to the East Coast now. <laughs> Are there any houses in your neighborhood? We're looking. There there definitely are houses for sale in my neighborhood. OMG, we, we will definitely... We are gonna actually going to be in your area next winter because we decided that we're bored of being in Chicago. So I might be able to see you in person. Oh, What's that up? would be awesome. And, like, I could get a vibe and be like, maybe we're just going to move to the East Coast. Yeah, maybe. We'll see more friendly. It's funny that talking to me, you're like, yeah, maybe I'm going to move to the East coast. And, uh, my big thing is, I mean, we just bought a house and, you know, have a mortgage until we're dead and, you know, all of that fun stuff. But it's I'm still like, dream. so Alex, when are we moving to New Orleans? <laughs> Which his answer is, uh, I don't want to move to New Orleans. Um, you know, I'm like, well, that's disappointing. I'm going to keep asking you every three months. One day it'll happen. That's a good strategy. Eventually he'll just get tired of it and be like, uh, tomorrow, we're going to move tomorrow. <laughs> well, his most recent, so I've wanted to move to New Orleans since before we met. So he knew that when we started dating and we're both from the Philly area. So, um, both of our families are close by. Um, and so Alex has been the big, like, let's stay close to home. Let's be near family. And when we decided to open the bookstore, we were like, we got to stay close to where we know people who will buy our stuff before other people know that they can buy our stuff. So, you know, marketing. Um, but, but I've been like, okay, but like, can we, when can we move to New Orleans? <laughs> and then obviously like the pandemic happened and, um, you know, hurricanes have been bad down there and, you know, there's so many things that go into it, but Alex recently said, what if we, cause his family loves New Orleans too. Or if we did this with friends, we all put in to buy a, a house down there. And do it like a timeshare. And then Ooh, we spend X amount of months there every year. And I was like, okay, that's that's moving in the direction that I like. So and we'll then see. eventually you're just going to kick everybody else out of the timeshare. Yeah. 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 Good strategy. I like it. Yeah. <laughs> I would do that. I don't think I could live down there. Um, the few times we've been there, it's just so insanely hot. We keep going during the wrong seasons. But I really do like the aesthetic. I like the vibe. I can only do short trips, though, to New Orleans. Mm -hmm. When is, like, the good season to go? So I really like going in the fall, but, like, before Halloween because they have Voodoo Fest, which is huge. And I have a lot of anxiety around crowds. So I can't go to New Orleans whenever there's a festival. I have to go all the other times of the year. Um, though one day I do want to be there for Mardi Gras. I'm just going to, like maybe have panic attacks but you know i feel like it's something i want to experience at some point but don't you think it's gonna be all frat boys and stuff though i mean probably a lot of frat boys but a lot of people who we met through getting married down there participate and wear like beautiful costumes and are like the exact opposite of frat boys so i wonder if if maybe i could like go with them you know and they could they could tell me how to do mardi gras will steer you in the right yeah, direction. Yeah, exactly. Um, but I really like early fall. 
it's tricky because you have to wait until hurricane season is over. So like late September, early October, we got married in early October. It's also supposed to be like in the 80s then. Of course, when I got married on October 7th, it was 100 degrees with 100% humidity. But, you know, that was fun. Um, Their winter is also pretty mild. So that's not a bad time to go or the spring. I just would say anytime before May, because the first time I went, it was right around um, Cinco de Mayo and it was blistering. I mean, not as hot as it would be in like July, but it was it was not fun for a person who has asthma and also uh, the fairest, most sensitive skin in the world. So I'm very much a, I can't go to New Orleans when it's uh, basically May through September, just for my own sanity. Shout out to a fellow asthmatic. Hey, that, that is something you have to actually think of when you travel places. We keep going in August. It, it, it's not fun. Yeah, don't go in it's August. so goddamn hot. I, uh, this is like we never think about it. And we're like, maybe it'll be better this year. No, it's probably just going to keep getting worse. I mean, it's definitely cheaper to go in August. Yeah. Um, but Don't we are, we are potentially going in, in early fall um, with some friends for a friend's 40th birthday. And I'm really hoping that that, that happens. And I was very glad to get a, a text that was like, hey, we know you love New Orleans and know everything about it. So like what time of year should we go? And also we want you to come with us. And I was like, I was really waiting for that second part of the text. You know, I literally have an Excel spreadsheet of what to do when you go to New Orleans that I send to people that I know every time they go so that we just keep adding to it. Mm -hmm. Um, But I was like, can I come? That is like the best. You're like the kind of traveler that I'd like to go with because you probably like have a really good like idea of what you want to do. Oh, I'm very organized. <laughs> Where I'm just kind of wandering, being like, uh, that looks interesting, and just pointing at random stuff. I mean, that can be a fun way to travel, too. Um, I, That's, like, exclusively how we do travel. <laughs> I feel like all of the times I've previously been to New Orleans, I've been there for, like, a very specific purpose. And so I've had to be really regimented. So the next time I go... I mean, obviously, if I go with friends and it's their first time, I'm going to play tour guide because I used to be a tour guide. So I like fall into that role very easily. But um, Alex and I want to go for like a week at some point where we don't have anything planned. And we like maybe hit some of the restaurants and bars that we love. But like we're just we're just immersing ourselves in the city and doing what like we want to do, like depending on what our mood is and not like you have to go do this tour at this time and, you know, all of that. Um, cause I've done so, like, like traveling like that gives me anxiety of the, like, you have to be here. You got to go there. Stuff like that. Yeah. Well, I will say like, you could totally go to new Orleans and not plan everything. We realized when we, we did our honeymoon in Europe, we were lucky enough that we went the end of 2019. So we were able to go before, you know, everything was COVID, but, um, we were, we had, you know, like flights and all and hotels and all that stuff booked, but we were figuring out tours and like places to visit, like while we were there. Um, and there were a few instances where it was like, oh, well, this sold out. And like, we were only in that country for X amount of days. And I was like, oh, I guess when I'm abroad, I probably should be like really regimented and plan like every day to the minute. And then when I'm in other places, more of the like, I'd like to do this and this while I'm there. And then anything else I do is cool. Where did you guys go? 
We were in Germany, Austria, and Ireland for about a week and a half. Ooh, I like it. It was awesome. We, we for the next six months, were like, we're moving to Germany. Um, and we were, we were studying German and doing like little Duolingo competitions. And then the pandemic happened and we stopped studying German. <laughs> uh, we're going to actually get married in Europe. Well, actually not technically married in Europe, but we're going to have like a home base. We're going to be moving to Europe for the summer. That's amazing. Yeah. Uh, summer through fall. We're basically hoping to just keep going to Europe every time there's an election in this country. That's a smart idea. Yeah. We're just going to watch from abroad and be like, is America still good? But now we're going to get married in Egypt. We'll just be like living in Istanbul during that time. That sounds incredible. Yeah. Well, my, I was going to say boyfriend, the man who lives with me, (laughs) his family is Turkish. So it's cheap there and it's fun. So I don't even know if we do a honeymoon if you're already abroad while you get married. Like, I think you're already at the honeymoon. Yeah. It does kind of feel like it's already a honeymoon. I mean, there were so many people, even us, because we technically did a destination wedding of going to New Orleans. People were like, so this is your honeymoon. And I was like, no. (laughs) It's like I took all the time off I could to be here for a week. And now in a year from now, I'm going to actually go on a honeymoon somewhere else. See, I'll just have to come up with somewhere even better for the honeymoon honeymoon. We're travelers. We like going like everywhere. I was even saying, I was like, we should go to Russia. And he's like, during our Europe trip, I was like, no, you cannot do both. You could do Europe trip, and then you could do a Russia trip. Like, they're too big in separate places. Yeah. So. Well, I mean, that's smart, though. That was how Alex was with me, because he's been abroad more than I have. So when we were planning our honeymoon, I was like, I want to go to Brussels, and I want to do this and this. And he was like, no. He was like, we're going to do these three places on this trip, and then we'll do another trip where we do these three places. And I was like, oh, that is, that is good planning. It is a thing, I think, with Americans where we kind of underestimate how much you could do in one day in a country. Like, you just you just don't know how much is there and how long it takes to do a lot of the shit. Yeah. Where it's like, you don't just go, like, for a weekend in, say, like, Brussels or something. Like, you want to really get immersed in it for a bit. Right. But, yeah, traveling's fun. I, I, I'm excited to not be here during the elections. I'll vote. We're definitely voting. We're just going to vote and then move. Yeah, that's that's a smart plan. Yeah. So, I have a question I always like to ask people. And then it's like, I don't know. Do you use Spotify? Uh, I do. What is on your 2021 Spotify wrapped? actually know. See, it's so fun. That's my favorite thing to do. Or your top t- songs of 2021. Top songs of 2021. Let's see. Because it says so much about someone's personality and how their year was going. <laughs> All right. Let's see. What did I listen to? So I listened to... Um, uh, he Don't Love Me by Winona Oak, a ton of times. Very good for dancing. 
Um, Lauren Hill's Can't Take My Eyes Off of You. Alex and I love that song. And I listened to that uh, version of I Put a Spell on You by Screaming Jay Hawkins probably a million times uh, this fall. And so that's that's definitely up there, too. Um, I also recently rediscovered a band that my high school boyfriend loved and that I liked, too, when I was, in, you know, 16 years old called Cut Copy. I don't know if you've ever heard of them. Yeah. Um, but I like one of my first concert was, you know, taking a bus to New York. And so I've been listening to cut copy again because it feels nostalgic. And I'm thinking about, you know, what life was like 15 years ago and, you know, how ridiculous I was. I think you have actually a pretty good flow to like what your mood was last year. Mine's yeah. just all over the place. <laughs> Like, I just seemed like I was some spastic person who was throwing on weird moods every day. <laughs> like, I, I have, like, Neil Diamond, and then I have Bo Burnham, and then I have Iron and Wine. Like, who the fuck listens to this? I do. <laughs> I got the Decembrists, Father John Misty. They kind of fit. Lady Gaga, out of nowhere. I clearly am a very crazy person. I mean... I'm, I never don't want Lady Gaga. So, and it's very good dance music. It's like I, I didn't seek her out. She just somehow found her way into my playlist. Mm. Yeah. Because Spotify does like the whole algorithms and everything. And she just kept showing up. And I was like, I do. I do love this song. I'll dance to it. Which makes Spotify, I think, the superior thing to listen to. Aside from vinyl. I'm obsessed with vinyl. I think I listen to records more than anything. You? I I would love to have records and have a little record player. Maybe that'll be a thing that we will do now that we're starting to get cozy in our house. Because it's just a different experience. It really is. I mean, I think I started off when I was like, 18, 19 with one of those really crappy Crosley uh, record players, but like the collection has really built up because I became like the thing that me and my friends, we always give each other is records and coffee for <laughs> our gifts. So I have a pretty big collection now and I, it's fun. Like if you just like, it's almost like a date night thing during a pandemic, like where we'll just like deep listen to a record together. That sounds amazing. Yeah. Now I'm like hating it though because I watched the new Sex in the City thing and found out that that's what the characters did. And I was like, mm, cheapening my idea, but whatever. <laughs> but okay. Do you want to read anything? Sure. Yeah. I'll read one piece um, that is New Orleans themed, but it's not from Creole Conjure um, and was uh, recently published. Um, for the Daily Drunks um, Final Girl Bulletin, um, and it's called uh, Doll Baby Daddy. Um, so it has all, a lot of the things we've talked about today of, like, magic and New Orleans and everything, and spookiness. Um, all right, so this is Doll Baby Daddy. When we arrive at the new house in Louisiana, my mother squeals, Don't you love it, P? I always wanted a house with a big old wraparound porch. She practices her southern twang, pretending she has always been here, 
that we didn't just speed down Route 81 and away from our life in Philadelphia. She says, we have to do our best to fit in. The house is a faded yellow, the color of withering daffodils. Peeling white wooden pegs line the porch, the bars of a cage. The three steps up to the porch hold themselves together at a slant. I love it, I say, because that's what she needs to hear. I add mama because that gives her hope there's still time to change my childhood. I'm 14, but there's no use in upsetting mama by reminding her. My mother packed our things while I was at a sleepover with my best friend, Becky. Daddy wasn't one of them, and I don't bring him up anymore. In the car, she handed me a thick stack of books about New Orleans. I touched the glossy cover of The Magic of Marie Laveau. A little education about our new home, my mother said. Plus, it's going to be a long drive. Buckle up, Pete. I watched my mother climb up the steps. The muscular calves snaked with veins and move across the porch into our new home. She doesn't falter on the steps or even seem to notice the way they lean. I lag behind her, eyeing the porch steps. I bend until my torso is horizontal and my ears burn with pressure to inspect underneath the slanted wood to see if a conjurer has left a warning for us. My book says a doll baby left under a porch step usually means trouble, but sometimes it's for the protection of the homeowner or a family member. This gives me an idea. I pull myself upright, shaking off the electric tingles in my arms and neck. Mama doesn't always see what's right in front of her. I know what I have to do to make her finally see. My breath halts, ballooning in my chest and throat. With one large step, I clear the stairs. Once the door is closed behind me, I sigh, thick rushes of air streaming from my nose and mouth. I want to tell my mother about something I read in one of the books she gave me. I want to tell her so many things, but she never believes me, always saying I have an active imagination. Mama enrolls me in a local summer camp. She says it's the best way to fit in, to make friends. I nod and smile. After daddy, I'll do anything to make her happy. I make no friends at camp. I sit inside in the air conditioning and read my book about the voodoo queen. I ask my camp counselor, Tay, for gauze, felt, twine, popsicle sticks, and a hot glue gun. It's a housewarming gift for my mother. I tell her to ease the wrinkles between her black eyebrows. She pats my shoulder. That's a lovely idea, Penelope. I know she worries about me not making friends at camp. I want to tell her Louisiana and its heat and its history are suffocating me. But instead, I smile at Tay. On the last day of camp, I place the doll baby on the porch of our new house, lying in its coffin of popsicle sticks. I whisper, let her see, over it three times to begin the working, just like I read. Mama shrieks when she finds it in the next, finds it the next morning and jumps back, her feet propelling her away from acceptance. Shrouded in black gauze is Daddy, or a doll-sized version of him. I feign surprise for Mama's sake. I want to tell her about the book and coffin magic, about the spell I shaped just for her, but she isn't ready for the truth, just like she isn't ready to face the fact that Daddy is dead. And that is Doll Baby Daddy. That's a very good story. I like it. And it got published where? Uh, so the Daily Drunk's now doing um, the Final Girl Bolton Board. 
and it was published there um, like a month or so ago. Okay, so that like immediately brings two questions to mind. So I'm going to ask the first one. When did you first learn about Marie Laveau? I mean, I feel like everyone knows about Marie Laveau. So, you know, the name I knew, but I didn't start to really know anything about her. And what's interesting, too, is that there were two women named Marie Laveau. Marie Laveau the first and the second, who was her daughter. Um, mm-hmm. So uh, one of my first trips to New Orleans, I went into my favorite bookstore, which was Faulkner House Books. Uh, and there, uh, there I bought a biography um, called The Spirited Lives of Marie Laveau. And it was the first time I realized that there were two women with the same name. Um, and I just, from there, I've just read as many biographies as I could. So so I guess I first started to really recognize her as a real person and learn more about her maybe in the last five years. That's really good. I'm very proud that you didn't say coven. So there, there are a lot of people who are just like, oh, American Horror Story. So that's really good. So I'm looking at Final Girl Bulletin Board. What do you think of when you think of Final Girl? So I think of, you know, I think of horror movies and horror movie tropes. Um, I think of, uh, you know, a girl surviving, usually a pretty bloody, violent, um, you know, excursion adventure. Um, I, uh, I think of in terms of books that I really enjoy about the final girl, um, Stephen Graham Jones, most recent book, my heart is a chainsaw, uh, follows a teenage girl who is obsessed with slasher films, um, and becomes convinced that there is a slasher in her town. And so she is trying to figure out who everyone in the town is if they were in a, a horror movie, um, and who is the final girl. Um, and so I can't help but think of that. And that book is, is wonderful. Um, whether you are someone who reads horror or you're just getting into horror, um, because Stephen Graham Jones does a really great job, especially in that because it's set up of a teenage girl telling you the story, um, that she's like horror 101 and like gives you facts throughout it that works really well for the narrative without feeling like too much is being explained to you. I like it. I definitely want to check that book out now. Definitely. What is it called again? My Heart is a Chainsaw. Got it. I like typed in his name and then I was like, oh shit, I missed what she said the book's name was. Well, he's written a million books. I mean, he became really popular for Only Good Indians, um, which I haven't read, but that's because I've been told that there is um, animal cruelty in it. And that is, that's one thing that with horror, I, I can't um, handle, especially because in that book, it has to do with dogs. and I'm a dog mom. Um, but I've read several of his other books, including My Heart is a Chainsaw, and I, I really enjoy his, his work. I'm looking at The Last Final Girl. That looks interesting. Yeah, I haven't, um, I haven't read that, um, but I've heard good things about Riley Sager's work. Um, and then uh, Grady Hendrix um, has the Final Girl support group, which I haven't read yet, but I've read um, some of his earlier work. So the Final Girl is definitely a popular right now it's definitely a very popular trope in almost everything i think it's just because it's made such a big comeback in literature and movies and everything yeah in horror movies who do you think the ultimate final girl is 
like a specific character or just yeah, like that archetype? Character. Well, I mean, it depends on, on the, the movie. Um, I mean, I always want the, I always want the character, whether it's someone who's, who's femme identifying or, um, someone who is considered like the other, the underdog, I always want them to survive at the end, but, um, it depends on the specific character. Um, and I like any horror movie that doesn't just stick to the tropes of, you know, the, the quote unquote slutty one dies and the virgin lives, you know, I think all of that, that kind of, um, those gender roles are bullshit. So. I think we could rule out that you're seeing Scream 5 this week. <laughs> no, I'm seeing Scream 5 this week. Um, I mean, I enjoy I enjoy this, this Scream franchise for what it is. Yeah. Oh, believe me, I, I am cool with all horror movies, and you could shit on Scream. God knows my horror cast co-host does all the time. <laughs> but, no, I really like that. I like the whole final girl trope and everything and I'm actually excited to be checking this daily drunk thing out I didn't know that they were doing that and I see a lot of good stories on here yeah I think it I think they just started doing it this fall and they've been publishing some really awesome pieces so um I definitely have I see to a catch lot up because they've authors published on here I like yeah some folks I know recently so I'm excited to get caught up hell yeah you definitely have me gonna I'm gonna read the before I had my coffee that's gonna be one for me <laughs> But do you want to plug anything before we go? Uh, yeah, I have a couple things I can plug. So um, I'm doing an in-conversation event that's virtual through a novel idea on Saturday, January 22nd, 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, um, where I'll be reading from and talking about Creole Conjure um, with uh, Kimberly White, who uh, this earlier in 2021 had... Uh, her novel, Waterfall Girls, published with Clash Books. Um, and her book is looking at um, myriads, um, so mermaid-like uh, nymph figures, um, and a waterfall where people commit suicide. Um, and so we'll be talking about magic and mythology um, with our books. Um, and then the following weekend on Friday, January 28th at 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, I'm doing a free... A free uh, like monthly brain pick session that um, author and literary agent Eric Smith puts on. Um, it'll be via Zoom. Um, I've just shared everything on social media and it's on Eric's, but we're going to talk about books. And then we're also going to talk about if folks are interested in knowing how to work with a bookstore, I'll be specifically talking about how to get your book in a novel idea um, or how to connect with us about events. I dig it. Sounds fun. Yeah, should be. All right. Well, you're going to be on this Saturday show, so be excited. I am. <laughs> All right. I'll catch you later. All right. Thanks, Mallory. Have a good day. You too. Bye. All right. That was Christina, and that was a very fun and trippy reading. I hope you enjoyed it. Check out her books that we mentioned in the beginning of the show and her Twitter at Rosso underscore Christina. You can also hit up her website, Christina-Rosso.com. As always, if you want to get to know us more, find Textual Healing on Twitter at Pod Healing. 
and take a look at our website, textualpodcast.com. We are available on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Subscribe, leave us a review, a rating, whatever. Check out past episodes and keep a lookout for the new ones to come. Thanks for listening. I hope you enjoyed the show.